This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Beyond Zero is Toyota's vision of a carbon-neutral future and more. Toyota gives you the power to reduce carbon emissions and help move toward its vision with a wide selection of electrified vehicles. Whether you're into hybrid EVs for that traditional Toyota feel with better MPG, battery EVs for a smooth and silent ride, or plug-in hybrid EVs that switch between battery and fuel, Toyota has you covered. And for those who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. Giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond zero vision. Toyota, let's go places. Okay, so check this out. In the course of our research for today's episode, I discovered one of the longest sentences I have read in a cartoonishly long amount of time. Do we have time for this? We do. We do. I just want you to, I I just want you to check out how long the sentence is. Keep in mind, it is all one sentence. Give it to us. All right. My lord, out of the love I bear to some of your friends, I have a care for your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you as you tender your life to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this parliament, for God and man have concurred to punish the wickedness of this time, and think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into your country, where you may expect the event in safety. For though there may be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this parliament." And yet they shall not see who hurts them. This counsel is not to be condemned, because it may do you good and can do you no harm. For the danger is past as soon as you have burnt the letter, and I hope God will give you the grace to make good use of it. To whose holy protection I commend you. Holy smokes, my name's Ben. My name is Nolan. That is the way my mom sends text messages. There are twelve commas. 
in this paragraph masquerading as a sentence. Okay, well, my mom doesn't even bother using commas. Did I say I'm Noel? I'm, I'm distracted by, by the length of that <laughs> sentence, and I'm mulling it over. What does it mean, Ben? What does it mean? This is a letter that was sent to the Lord Monteagle to warn him of a terrorist plot. A terrorist plot, you say? <laughs> yes, yes, one involving gunpowder. Ah, I think you mean the infamous gunpowder plot of November of 1605. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, with gunpowder, treason, and plot. I see no reason why the gunpowder... Treason. ...should ever be forgot. Right. Yes, yes, the very same, Noel, uh, and that is why you and I, along with our super producer, Casey Pegram, are delving into some British history, something that has encountered a resurrection in terms of popularity in the United States ever since the 2006 release of the uh, film V for Vendetta, an adaptation of an earlier graphic novel. Right, uh, by Alan Moore, um, and it tells the story of an anarchist who plots to overthrow sort of a, a dystopian future government um, and uses this mask of the face of Guy Fawkes as kind of a symbol of... Rising up against the oppressors. Right. And for many people who learned the broad strokes of this event in school, uh, Guy Fox is often portrayed as the primary character, the protagonist or antagonist, depending upon your perspective. It's true. But as it turns out, he was really more of, I don't know, not a patsy. He, <laughs> he, he knew what he was getting into, but he certainly wasn't the brains behind the operation. He was just the poor sap what got caught. Yes, yes, yes. And let's set the stage here uh, for what exactly happened. Let's start with the facts, right, before we get into some of the ridiculousness. Let's do it. So Henry VIII, this guy, ruled England. He had six wives, and at the time, the country was Catholic. You mean the, that rotund fellow with the chicken leg <laughs> at the Renaissance Fair? The <laughs> very same. I think that might be an actor. I'm pretty sure... Our nemesis, the quizster, Jonathan Strickland, uh, knows Henry VIII, or at least the actor that portrays him at the Renaissance Fair. Peek behind the curtain. Strickland spends many of his uh, hours when he's not podcasting and tormenting us as a Renaissance Fair actor. Yes, yes, and he's been doing it for quite a while. I bet you're correct. I bet he's plugged into the uh, Renaissance Festival scene. Well, if he pops up at some point, we'll have to uh, ask him about that. Yes, perhaps we can also ask him to sing a snatch of the famous oldie, I'm Henry VIII. Yes, and speaking of Henry VIII, uh, I am Henry VIII, I am. Mm -hmm. uh, what role did he play in kind of setting the stage for this treasonous plot? Yes. Excellent question. You see, at the time that he ruled England, the country was Catholic, at least at first, because his wife at the time, Catherine of Aragon, could not bear him a male heir. And because of this, Henry VIII said, well, why are we even married? What's the point of this matrimony? Well, that's a big deal. I mean, if you're trying to preserve your legacy as the patriarch of an entire nation, you need yourself a boy, a prince, a princess just won't do the trick. These were very misogynistic times, and uh, if he felt this marriage was fruitless and not bearing him the desired um, offspring, then he was going to have to do something about it. But unfortunately, under the laws of Catholicism,
Catholicism and the Pope, uh, divorce just was not a thing. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. Even the king couldn't do it. Even the king. And so, so, uh, Henry said, you know what? I'm done with the church. And he finally got the divorce he wanted, but this created intense interreligious confusion because his three children retained Catholic religious beliefs, but they became politically opposed to the church's doctrine, and this led to persecution of Catholics in England. Absolutely, and a lot of historians uh, conjecture that Henry himself, behind closed doors, pretty much remained Catholic. He was a uh, (laughs) Protestant in name only, Uh, a pino. A pino, yes. So Henry died, as people tend to do. I think of gout. <laughs> yeah, of, of rich living, yes. right? He had a very fatty liver. And his son Edward took the throne. Edward was followed by Mary, and Mary led a Catholic reign. But when Elizabeth took the throne in 1558, England switched from a Catholic to a Protestant nation. Isn't it interesting how he finally got that air in Edward? And I think he was kind of a weedy little sickly fellow <laughs> uh, with hemophilia and, and just, just did not fit the bill. And then, of course, we have a legacy, despite Henry's best efforts and throwing his country into religious turmoil, a succession of very powerful, badass women. Yes, Yes, oh, what webs history weaves. You never quite know the ending of a tale, right? And Catholics had uh, discriminatory policies placed against them. They couldn't hold mass, for instance. That's right. Um, Many Catholic priests were imprisoned and even put to death. And um, Catholics who refused to attend Protestant services would be fined. And those fines increased um, exponentially over the years as the throne switched hands. Absolutely. And this is why Catholics who lived in England under this discriminatory system had high hopes when James of Scotland became the king because, you know, his mother Mary was Catholic. Wouldn't he be a little less uncool at least? And initially, he actually waived those fines, uh, which really got people's hopes up, um, Catholics specifically, thinking, okay, we've got a friend in James, you know? <laughs> but he pulled the bait and switch of the century and ended up being even harsher to Catholics than his predecessor had been. And that's when people had just had enough. And some of these Catholics, various groups, got together and hatched several well-known plots to assassinate James in the hopes of switching the tide of history and the uh, religious leanings of the country. Right, yeah, and we think of this period of time usually in terms of the gunpowder plot, but, Noel, you raise an excellent point. It was one of several plots. There was the by plot, spelled like bye-bye, uh, in 1603, and their aim was to kidnap uh, James. And then there was the main plot of which the by plot was a part, uh, which involved replacing James with his cousin, Arabella Stewart or Arbella Stewart. And the thing that's interesting about these is like, you have to wonder 
what were they thinking? Because it was largely a Protestant country at this point. I think way more people were practicing Protestantism than Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So if they did succeed, short of recruiting, you know, some other country, uh, it will get into this with the gunpowder plot. There were attempts to attract Spain to aid in the Catholic cause Mm -hmm. um, in England. But what did they expect to happen? That all of a sudden, like all of these Protestants that were the majority were just going to like decide to be on board and not see them as utter zealots and uh, and terrorists? Right, yeah, because what we have seen typically is that uh, across the span of history, extremism does not make for a welcoming argument, uh, especially to your opponents, right? So if if these plots had succeeded, right, and the ruling powers of the day became Catholic, it's pretty unlikely that all of the Protestant population would just shrug and say, ah, good game. That, that, that probably wasn't going to happen, but that was uh, not a consideration in the minds of these conspirators. And these were actual conspiracies. And all of this because of the whims of a fat man. (laughs) Well, you know, no king is perfect. Uh, the the plot, the gunpowder. Does it thicken? Yes, the plot does thicken. The gunpowder plot, especially. There's a great article on how stuff works by our friend Candace Gibson that looks at the germination of the gunpowder plot. And one way that she describes it, which I love, is uh, she says, if you can imagine the cast of the Ocean's Eleven trilogy in breeches and broad collars, you've got an inkling of the crew assembled to take down James and leaders of parliament in the gunpowder plot. And that crew was led sort of the Brad Pitt character in this story was a man by the name of Robert Catsby. And he was a nobleman who had participated in a previous rebellion known as Essex's Rebellion, which was another unsuccessful rebellion where the second Earl of Essex led a charge to um, depose Elizabeth I of England or at least kind of splinter her inner circle and influence policy. And that didn't work. So this guy's already coming uh, into this with an axe to grind and that, that rebellious kind of attitude mm-hmm. of not accepting the status quo. And, you know, come hell or high water, he's going to he's going to get his way. Yeah, he is in the parlance of our time, a veteran terrorist. The plan was kill the king, kill James, and then when his daughter ascends to the throne, marry her off to a Catholic, thereby redefining England's religious identity. You can already see here that this this master plan is uh, assuming that the daughter will be a puppet royal, right, and has no agency of her own. And I, I like your comparison of Catsby as the Brad Pitt uh, here's the crew he recruited. He got a guy named John Wright, a fellow named Thomas Winter, another Thomas, this one Thomas Percy, and, of course, Guy Fox. And I think a lot of people perhaps erroneously assume that Guy Fox was playing the role that was actually played by Robert Catsby. Guy Fox came in the mix. He was not the Brad Pitt. No, he was really kind of a heavy he had a lot of experience in combat fighting Protestant rebels uh, in the Spanish Netherlands. And he had kind of gotten at least 
maybe not buddy-buddy, but close enough to the king of Spain that he actually asked him for help in starting an English uprising against James, who was just the enemy of Catholics far and wide. And he even changed his name or started referring to himself as Guido instead Mm -hmm. of Guy in 1605 because it – gave him more of a connection to the papacy in Rome and sort of more of a uh, a cosmopolitan identity that was tied more to Catholicism than to being an Englishman. And we can anticipate the question here. Did he refer to himself in third person? We can only hope that he was one of those people. But what we do know for sure is that due to his military experience, he was acquainted with using and more importantly, gaining access to gunpowder. They spent more than a year, more than 17 months or so, organizing this plot. And ultimately, they got 36 barrels of gunpowder, and they rented a building close to Parliament with the aim of tunneling underground to place the barrels of gunpowder in the cellars of the Parliament building. So just to just to clarify for me, Ben, I kind of got a little uh, little turned around here when I was reading this. Their their goal was to tunnel into Parliament from this rented basement because it was directly under the House of Lords. But the idea was that they would dig tunnels from mm-hmm. that basement into the House of Lords. But I think their plan was foiled by the flooding of the Thames, which yeah. predictably totally jacked things up. <laughs> right. Yeah, and thwarted their efforts. So they said not to be discouraged. Let's go to our backup plan, plan B for backup. And while they were working on this plan, Thomas Winter's boss, a fellow named Lord Monteagle, uh, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, he tipped off, according to the story, a fellow named Robert Cecil, who was the Earl of Salisbury at the time. Salisbury? <laughs> yes, like the steak. Like the steak. <laughs> I love how both of us immediately went to that association. Well, that's how you know that was the good lunch day in school for me was Salisbury Steak Day. You were a rectangle pizza guy. I did like rectangle pizza too. I felt like rectangle pizza was solid. A slight interjection here, Ben. This guy Cecil was also a hugely important figure in Elizabeth I's court and one of the targets of that revolt we mentioned earlier, Essex's revolt that our boy Catsby helped orchestrate. So they had beef previous to this and they they knew of each other and that's going to come into play in a really cool interesting way tired of spills and stains on your sofa wash away your worries with anabay anabay the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices that's right sofas from only 639 dollars Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. 
Ball State wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. And now we enter into the realm of full-on conspiracy. We can go a couple of different directions with this. Let's go all of the directions. Let's go all of the directions at once, like a like a Wonka Vader, right? Exactly. So, someone in the know, someone with advanced knowledge of the gunpowder plot sent the letter with that cartoonishly long sentence we read at the top of the show to Lord Monteagle, advising him as you could hear, to avoid the ceremony in the House of the Lords that day. And that's because he was a Catholic, and they, and it was somebody involved in the plot that wanted to protect him from being blown to hell. Mm-hmm. And and there are historical perspectives that say several of the conspirators sent letters to uh, various other Catholics that would have been present, potentially, um, to warn them not to go. Right. And there's an excellent article on BBC. There's actually a lot of research into this idea, but there's an excellent article on BBC by Adam Donald called Was Guy Fawkes a, wait for it, Noel, Fall Guy? Huh? All right. Well, I liked it. Wait, I, I don't think I get it. A guy fox, a fall guy. A fall guy. Yeah, uh, I got it. I got it. More like a fall guido. There we go. Yes, there we go. So the official course of events is that Monteagle sends the letter to Cecil, the Earl of Salisbury, and Salisbury is the one who makes the call to search the Palace of Westminster, wherein Guy Fox is discovered alone in the cellars, surrounded by barrels of gunpowder. Talk about being caught red-handed. Yeah, not only that, he had a slow, slow-burning slow fuse on him. You know, picture any traditional fuse that you would attach to dynamite that you can light, and so it burns slow enough for you to get the hell out of there. He had one of those on him. He also had a clock on him, a pocket watch that Catsbury had uh, given him so that they could synchronize the timeline of it all so that he could uh, set the fuse ablaze at just the right moment. 
Right, because just like the Joker in the Christopher Nolan Batman thing, it's about sending a message, right? It's true. And so Fox is caught. He is tortured, and he stands up pretty well under this horrific torture. And torture was actually illegal in uh, the United Kingdom at the time, but James made a special concession, which to me... You know, that sort of calls into question the idea of legality. If you can just, like, make an exception for this one. Right. You know, this one guy that really, really has it coming. So he signs a confession, ultimately, um, after giving up his co-conspirators. And you can find this confession online, and it's like you can tell that whoever signed it did not have full use of their hand. So he probably either had fingers removed or smashed with, you know, who knows what horrible things they would have done. To yeah, him. it may indeed have been so traumatized that he didn't understand the full text of what he was signing. But he did sign it, Guido. But he did sign it, Guido. Uh, the other conspirators fled or perished in a skirmish with the crown. Uh, those that were remaining, and most famously Guy or Guido Fox, uh, were sentenced to being hanged, drawn, and quartered. But here is where the historical narrative begins to uh, come into some conflict points. Because you see, friends and neighbors, uh, that there are historians who will tell you that the official narrative was a little more sanitized uh, than the actual events. And there are some that will go so far as to say that Cecil was planning a false flag attack. Yeah, that he actually blackmailed Catsby to set this whole operation in motion, all the while monitoring everything. He even, you know, uh, supposedly, um, according to some versions of the story, set kind of a honey trap in this space that they were able to lease that just happened to be right underneath the House of Lords, that he was responsible for that, and that it was all in the name of this, like, false flag campaign to further demonize Catholics and make them out to be these utter uh, Looney Tune zealot extremists. Yeah, exactly. The idea being that he was his day and age's version of a marketing genius because it would have more impact, the argument goes, on the Protestant public and on the government if the Catholic extremists were not, you know, just caught talking in a tavern about doing this, but if they were caught red-handed at virtually the moment before disaster struck. So the idea here is that uh, we, the espionage apparatus that Cecil has constructed, the idea being that we would wait and let things play out and let the conspirators believe that they are working in secrecy, allowing them to plot until the last minute so that the people of England would understand just how very, 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 very close they came to losing the king. Except that probably isn't true either. Cecil's biographer, uh, a woman named Pauline Croft, had this to say about the likelihood of that particular version of events. In the inflamed atmosphere after November 1605, with wild accusations and counter-accusations being traded by religious polemicists, there were allegations that Cecil himself had devised the gunpowder plot to elevate his own importance in the eyes of the king and to facilitate a further attack on the Jesuits. Numerous subsequent efforts to substantiate these conspiracy theories have all failed 
abysmally. But there is no doubt that Cecil, again, he'd been in this since Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. He had been a very close member of her court and continued to wield significant power. I mean, he's the one who, after all, called for the parliament to be searched, you know, whether that was just um, a clever subterfuge or, but you know, he definitely wielded control. He had goons that he could deploy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what ended up happening with Guy Fox? He was sentenced to being drawn and quartered. But... Yeah, which means having your guts pulled out in front of you after being hanged almost to death. They take you down. Mm. They pull out your guts and they cut off your, your, your testicles. It's pretty grisly stuff. And they drag you. They, drag, they don't yeah. walk you to the no. gallows. They drag yeah. you to the gallows via horse. And then they split your carcass into four pieces and send them to the four corners of the, the kingdom as a, as a warning to all those who would dare, you know, defy the order of the crown. And Guy Fox knew this was a possibility. Hell yeah, he knew. <laughs> and so he he went out on his own terms. What did he do, Noel? He took a dive, man. He took a swan dive from the gallows and broke his own neck. Mm-hmm. He broke his own neck rather than uh, submitting to the lengthy degradations of being drawn and quartered. He went for a quicker death, arguably a cleaner one, I would say. And I, I like the point about Cecil's biographer because even today you will see historians disagreeing about this or arguing different perspectives. For instance, in the book The Gunpowder Plot, Terror and Faith in 1605, uh, author Antonia Frazier argues that there's not just evidence that the whole thing was some kind of uh, deeper conspiracy than the history books say. But she also argues that the letter itself, the famous warning letter, was fake and that both Monteagle and Cecil knew it was fake. Uh, she also says that Monteagle may have even written the letter himself. In her opinion, this is a quote, nothing else makes sense of Salisbury's extraordinary urbanity, one might even call it complacency, in the days following. There was certainly no sense of the impending danger in his conduct, such as might have been expected if the letter had presented him with a genuine mystery. So this this is strange, but as a counterpoint to this, again, this was not the Earl's first rodeo. Absolutely not. And uh, just a quick aside, Lord Monteagle was the friend and brother-in-law of conspirator Francis Tresham. And he was worried that, you know, his pal and, uh, you know, brother-in-law would be blown up in this this attempt. And so he supposedly sent him that letter. But I, I see what you're saying, Ben. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of loose ends in this story mm-hmm. to, to this day. And, you know, the the strange thing is, when the rubber hits the road, the bottom line, whatever the aims of the gunpowder plot, as it would be perceived by the public, it did end up making things worse for Catholics in England. Absolutely. It, I mean, Guy Fox became this symbol of um, treason, and uh, they declared a national holiday, I guess, Guy Fawkes Day or, or Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night, uh, where children would sell these little effigies of Guy Fawkes. They'd say a, a penny, uh, what is it, a, a penny for the guy. Penny for the guy, that's it. They'd have these little wheelbarrows and go around, and then people would set them on fire. So this guy bore the brunt uh, historically for this whole thing, but it turns out he was a bit more of a side guy, um, just happened to be the one caught with, with, with his pants down, his match mm-hmm. out. 
There are other lines of thought you will hear from people arguing both for this conspiracy and for this conspiracy theory, rather, and against it. One of the common arguments for the involvement of the crown was that only the state possessed gunpowder. But according to scholars, that is a myth and nonsense uh, with the argument, the rebuttal being that almost every gentleman in the early 17th century in that part of the world would have had a stock of gunpowder. We probably should have talked about this up front when we mentioned Guy's backstory, but he actually was a Protestant by birth and didn't convert to Catholicism until he was a teen. And I think it's so interesting how, you know, you think of Catholicism as like sort of the first form of Christianity in a lot of ways, but how it over time, because of the decisions and the sort of whims of, you know, Henry VIII, it created this huge divide and had, you know, people at each other's throats simply because of the religion that they practice. And obviously it's tale as old as time. Right. When we think of Catholicism uh, in Europe at the time, if not in England, it's functioning as a state power. You know, it's an inarguable authority in many parts of the region. Fox was not just anti-Protestantism. Uh, there, there's also a component of anti-Scottish sentiment because as it turned out, he was fiercely anti-Scottish. He believed that there was a natural hostility between the English and the Scots that would make it impossible to reconcile the two nations for any sustainable length of time. That comes from the gunpowder plot in History Today by an author named Pauline Croft. And it turns out that Fox was kind of a tough bastard too. I mean, he went two days, I think, being the only person in custody tied to this plot and, you know, went through the tortures of the damned, to quote Clockwork Orange. And he said the reason he participated in this plan and the whole purpose was to, quote, blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains. So (laughs) there's definitely some anti-Scottish sentiment there. But uh, King James I reportedly kind of liked the cut of his jib in a way because he, you know, he said he uh, had a, quote, Roman resolution. And so despite, you know, sending him to the most horrible, hellish end you could possibly imagine, he respected the guy a little bit. Yeah, grudgingly. And that that Roman resolution was uh, was quite possibly a Catholic name drop or reference. That's a good point, Ben. So. Now we are in a situation where you can still hear historians, biographers, and other scholars argue about the nature of essentially a deep state, right? Uh, Or the existence, rather, of a deep state in England at the time. Regardless of where you fall in this conversation, one thing is for sure. For actual facts, sure, a phrase we stole from our fellow podcaster, Lauren Vogelbaum. And that fact is this. Guy Fox was not the leader. Guy Fox was the fellow who got caught with the gunpowder. He was the man who endured torture for two days without rolling over on his co-conspirators. But he was not the mastermind uh, that he is so often portrayed as being in modern recounts of the story. 
Yeah, but he does have a place in history as this symbol of revolution. And that is the role that that mask in V for Vendetta plays. That is the role that that mask plays in the Occupy movement and uh, Anonymous. And any use of that image is very much tied to some form of fighting back against uh, something perceived as being fascist or a regime that does not value individual liberties and that is trying to crush you under their, you know, giant thumb or boot. Right. This uh, symbolic legacy or dynasty continues on today. And this might be interesting to you as well. Guy Fox, the name Guy, enters the English lexicon as the noun Guy. Like I saw a guy or this guy or, you know, you're in a, you're in a 7-Eleven somewhere and you say, ah, oh, my guy, let me get a, a slushie. I think that's cool because I love calling people guy. Yeah. What's up, guy? Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right. Sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
And after all this went down and Guy Fawkes Day or Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night became a thing in England, it was sort of a celebration of the physical demise of this human and the foiling of that gunpowder plot. And like you said, furthered anti-Catholic sentiment. But today... It's still a thing, but it's almost more like kind of a mini Halloween where the kids go around doing the penny for a guy and mm-hmm. it's almost like a form of trick or treating. And instead of burning effigies of Guy Fox, they'll burn effigies of like celebrities or politicians. So it's almost taken a, a spin where it was originally kind of this celebration of the state. Now he's sort of become this uh, icon of standing up to the state. Absolutely. There's been some transformation over the centuries since, and there's some sympathy nowadays for Guy Fawkes in Britain. Uh, there's a fantastic quote we found from uh, Lady Antonia. Uh, she's repeating this joke about uh, the, the British attitude toward Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes, they say, is the only man who got into Parliament with the right intentions, which I think is pretty harsh. I get it. I like it. It's chuckle-worthy, though. It's good. So this is our look at the strange transformation of the gunpowder plot and its associated uh, symbolic meaning across history, uh, as well as our examination of the controversy that rages like a conflagration or a bonfire even today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Oh, man. We got so close. Uh, Well, at least we have a chance to redeem ourselves. It's time, gentlemen. Jonathan Jonathan Strickland, Strickland. the quister. That's right. That's right. Yes. You've broken me. You've broken my spirit. I, I, you know, I feel good about that because the last time you kind of broke me and I think it's turnabout fair play. I think that's true. And you know what? I hope I hope we can turn about this whole thing where we can finally get back on top of your brutal games. Yes, well, of course, for those who do not know, let us explain why I'm here. Yes, uh, as the only emotionally unbroken person on the show right now, it falls to me to explain. You are tough as nails, man. (laughs) We are... I'll just drink my Theraflu. (laughs) This is the part, your evil Theraflu. Don't think we forgot. Oh, come on. This is, as we were saying, the (sighs) part where... This is, as we were saying, the part where uh, you, the Quister, come to Noel and I and uh, present to us a scenario which we must deem either true or false. All the while employing your supervillain powers of low-grade irritation. Yes, yes, it's it's... It's not exactly world-shattering, but uh, it certainly can ruin your day. And we have, we will, upon uh, hearing this scenario, yes. have three minutes on this gigantic grandfather clock. Which we, we moved, have moved it into from the new one studio, studio yeah. Yeah, into the new studio. A lot yeah. less cramped now. Yeah. And uh, you also, uh, going to Noel's earlier point about low-grade powers of annoyance, yes. uh, impose an arbitrary rule on both of us yes. for the duration of the quiz. This is true. All right, I think we've, I think we've all caught up. Now, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, you were previously talking about an attempted regicide with a Mr. Guy Fox, correct? That is correct, yes. That is correct. Well, today's scenario will take on a different attempted regicide. Mm. In fact, it was one that happened on May 15th, 1800, and we'll have the clock start after I 
I give you the full scenario. It's a long one again. That's, that's what I do. All right. <clears throat> A would-be assassin named James Hadfield on May 15, 1800, took aim and fired a pistol at King George III as he attended a theatrical presentation of She Would and She Would Not. This happened before the play was to begin, and the orchestra was, fittingly, playing God Save the King. Hadfield's shot entirely missed. He was seized. He was charged with treason. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity. His lawyer was so good that the judge stopped the trial because he was worried he'd have to actually acquit Hadfield, and the English government hastily wrote new laws regarding how the criminally insane were to be handled. Oh, and uh, by the way, on May 15th, 1800, this was actually the second failed assassination attempt on King George III on that very day. Someone had earlier taken a shot at him as he was reviewing soldiers in Hyde Park. Now, before you begin the clock, if you wish to ask a question of me, you must first start by saying, Quister, God save the king. Begin. Now, I know God save the queen. Is there also a God save the king? Are they interchangeable? Quister, God save the king. Yes. What's your question? Are they, does God save the queen and God save the king? And are they two different pieces of music? No, it's the same music. I, I, I was about to say, they're not interchangeable. It's well, I, I dependent upon that. whether it's a king or queen on the throne, but they are the same piece of music. Okay. Quister, God save the king. Yes, Master Bolin. Could you give us a uh, much briefer summary of the scenario? We do this every time. May 15th, 1800. King George III recently surviving a failed assassination attempt, as in within hours in Hyde Park, goes to attend a play where a person named James Hadfield fires a shot from a pistol. It misses the king. Hadfield is seized. He is put on trial for treason. And because his lawyer is so darn good, he almost is acquitted for reasons of insanity, except the judge stops the trial early so that they can figure out how the heck can we not allow someone who just tried to kill the king go? Oh, I, I, I'm flying blind. Here, I'm buddy. really flying blind, and my psyche is so broken from these repeated, you know, humiliations that Degradations. I just don't know which way is up anymore. I, I'm starting to like the only thing I can do is think: Would he really give us another false one right oh. after the hedgehog one? You know that but, we. But he studied uh, methodology of test giving. He exactly. is nothing if not clever. You wonder if the iocane powder is in my cup or your cup. Oh, or did boy. I put them in both cups? All right, Ted Cruz. Hmm. Uh, so, so, uh, I would say, uh, that some of the circumstances, the, the fact that, uh, or the perceived fact that two assassinations occurred on the same day is meant to be, if it is false, it is meant to be a, um, thing that sounds so unreasonable. It must be true, right? Right. But, if it is indeed a true thing, then it's easy to call it false. One thing that's getting me, Noel, is the idea of acquitting attempted regicide. Uh, yeah, I don't think that would happen. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, they they drew and quartered our boy Guy Fox. Uh, quiz, to, uh, I'm sorry, God Save the King, what year did this happen again? 1800. 1800. I think this is false. I am tempted to go with false, too. Uh, let's... Let's uh, let's agree to soldier on, though, if we get this wrong. We're down to 20 seconds. You want to lock it in? I think we got to lock it in at false. All right, we're locking it in. False. 
You poor, poor fools, I win again! We're, this, we're, we're, we're cutting this segment. This is way. absolutely true. I could tell by the way you were smirking, by the way. So <laughs> it how feels is, so good. So how insane did Hadfield have to be? This is an excellent question. Would you like to have some more details about this? No, because please. it really is fascinating. No, it is fascinating. So in uh, a few years prior to this, in, in the 1790s, Hadfield served in the British Army and he went to war against France. Not Not just Hadfield. There was a lot of guys with him. Okay. But while he was in a battle, he was struck in the head repeatedly by a saber at least eight times. People suggest that this is perhaps what caused him to go a little, as the experts say, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I knew you were going to say How did I know you was going to say that? He returned to England mm-hmm. and uh, met another fellow uh, named, and this is a real name, Bannister Trulock. Love it. Who was also absolutely bonkers and believed that the second coming of Christ would come through Bannister Trulock through his mouth, actually. He would spring forth from his mouth like a Greek god. So the lawyer was able to blame his insanity on his service in the first place. More or less. So it gets even more complicated. Uh, Trulock convinced Hadfield that killing King George III would bring about peace on earth and the second coming of Christ. Hadfield agrees to do this. He received uh, as his barrister a fellow named Thomas Erskine, who was the most famous and uh, decorated lawyer in all of England at that time. The Darrow of his day. Exactly. And he was able to argue very persuasively that Hadfield was, in fact, insane and that the definitions that the British court had been using to define insanity up to that point were not adequate. And the judge, fearing that this argument was so sound, stopped the trial early. Parliament passed the Criminal Lunatics Act in response. Oh, ooh, that didn't age well. <laughs> because what had happened was was that they, they realized if they released him, he would be released into the uh, general in, populace, into right? his family. His family yeah. would take care of him, which means that he could go and do whatever else. And so instead, the Criminal Lunatics Act of 1800 said that the uh, government could hold the criminally insane indefinitely. They could commit them indefinitely to an institution. He went to Bedlam. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did escape briefly, made it all the way to Dover in an attempt to escape back to France, where he was caught and returned to Bedlam. He died in 1841 of tuberculosis. And in fact, King George III had survived a previous failed assassination attempt where someone shot at him. They hit a person standing next to him. He decided to go ahead and go to the theater anyway. And even better... Demanded that the play continue after the failed assassination attempt. See, what screwed me up was like the most famous assassination attempt in the theater, to my mind, is, right. is Lincoln. So I thought you were capitalizing on that, that maybe we would think. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Quister, God Save the King. It's over, man. You don't have to say it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, digging it, actually. Yeah. That's the first one I've been actually digging. Um, two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, have the laws not changed since then? Uh, and if so, uh, my second question, how have you evaded capture for so long? Uh, excellent question, both accounts. Uh, the laws have somewhat changed since 1800. What would hope? Uh, secondly, I'm not a citizen of the UK, nor do I reside there. So they can chase me all they like. I'm, was it I'm a saber that led to your madness or was it maybe a hammer? Was it a Phineas Gage it actually, situation? It's actually a lightsaber. It was a, it was not a Disney thing and there's a, small child with a red 
Kylo Ren's saber was vicious. All right. Well, you know what? I see him in my nightmares. Well played, Quizster. Once again. Well played once again. Uh, Noel and Casey and I are off to contact Interpool about you just to see what's what. Is that like a like a, a, a organization that allows you to go from one pool to another pool? Interpool? You know what? Keep it up, and here's hoping you find out. Mm, all right. Yeah. Pool party in my place. <laughs> well, friends and neighbors, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I've got to say, Noel, uh, I actually uh, really enjoyed learning about that, uh, that, that Quister segment at the end. It sort of took the sting out of the humiliating defeat. So thank you for that. Four to two. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we know the score, buddy. Well, hey, listen, you guys can uh, write us your fan and or hate mail regarding the Quizster segment to ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can also send us a note on Facebook where we are Ridiculous History or on Instagram, Ridiculous History and Twitter. Um, and please join us next time where we're going to talk about a subject that I'm hoping to employ with our pal the Quizster here, which is arsenic. The, uh, the dream poison of assassins. The inheritance powder. <laughs> yes, my, uh, my favorite nickname for it so far. And of course, where would we be without our super producer, uh, Casey Pegram, who, true story folks, has to this day not been convicted of regicide. Uh, we'd also like to thank Candace Gibson, who wrote the excellent article available on HowStuffWorks.com regarding Guy Fox and the gunpowder plot. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you for hanging out with us. And we hope you'll join us next time where we can talk about poisoning our loved ones. See you then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com.